0: As he is just kind of meandering out through the field, I'm my mind is literally on the phone. It's like, man, if I, I can just wait for my father's truck to come rolling up the hill, because he's not going to walk up the hill. He's going to drive up the hill and pull up, because he's probably thinking I'm laying at the bottom of the tree. So I'm like, man, 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 and my mind's on this. And I look up, and it's probably 1.15 in the afternoon. I look up, and here stands that 200-inch deer. Oh, at no 150 way. yards, just walks out of the timber. Well, now it's like, great! Not only did I forget my phone, not only is my father going to roll up here, but he's going to actually bust the 200-inch deer. This, I mean, yeah. this this no. can't get any worse.
1: Welcome to Hunting Stories, brought to you by Late to the Game Outdoors. Everyone loves a good story, and hunters have some of the best. Our whole mission is to collect and share great stories from hunters just like you, to entertain and keep you motivated all year long. So, pull up a seat around the campfire, cause here we go. well guys welcome back to the hunting stories podcast uh i am joined today uh by a guy i met on instagram uh jeff ham out of kansas i believe uh jeff thanks for being here
0: man i appreciate you having me man it's fun
1: absolutely uh any anything anyone needs to know about you who are you
0: uh not really anything important uh kansas (laughs) naturally like you and i talked a little earlier you know the land of big white tails but You know, if you're going to explain any more about Kansas, that's going to get pretty slim. That's about it. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I've lived here my whole life. And, you know, hunting the outdoors has always been a passion. I'm one of those guys that the story's pretty stereotypical for me. My father's big outdoorsman, big hunter. I grew up, you start with small game as a kid and work your way up to turkeys and waterfowl and then got into deer hunting probably in my early teens and took up a bow, I think, my late teens and been doing it ever since.
1: That's awesome. The, the, uh, the life I'm trying to give my children uh, and the one that I absolutely missed because uh, I just got thrown into this thing as an adult. Um, well, awesome. You, you reached out. You've, I mean, obviously a lifetime of stories, uh, but one in particular, a, a massive buck where nothing went right uh, until the very <laughs> end. I, I, I don't want to pre-tell the story, but uh, right. well, let's get into this, this gigantic white tail
0: Yeah, so uh, we're going to take a little blast of the past year. So this is 2015. And like I said, you know, my father and I are big into the whitetails. And, you know, Kansas lends itself, you know, everybody's heard the stories. If you're a hunter and you're a big game hunter by any means, you know, you hear that those big three that Iowa, Illinois, Kansas for big whitetails. And uh, that's not a lie. And of course a lot of times when people think of Kansas, they think of big whitetails out in western Kansas. And uh, you know, you got flat ground, your trees where your whitetail densities usually add is along the timber that grows up along the rivers and everything else, any water sources out there. The rest of it's usually CRP grass and relatively flat cattle country. Uh where I live in northeastern Kansas. You would be surprised there's actually trees and then there are what we would call hills which most people would not even notice them but you know there's an elevation <laughs> change i think the entire state's below sea level and this might be a couple hills that might actually make it to sea level but uh lots of timber and uh what we have to do here is we hunt small plots you know there's a lot of population density where i'm at human population density so you know you'll you're trying to attract these big deer and manage them on on acreages that are 80, you know, 40 acres here, 80 acres there. And they you know, they vary on where they're at, you know, some could be three minutes from the house, some could be, you know, a half hour from the house. So it, it poses itself a pretty interesting challenge. But at the same time, you know, with the experience of my father from all his years and what I've learned growing up, you know, we're doing pretty well. So 2015, you know, we're running trail cameras. We've got, you know, your stereotypical hit list on some of your areas you've seen these bucks growing throughout the summer and in the velvet and everything. And, you know, I have this spot and of course, this deer helped me name this spot, the honey hole, but at the time, you know, it was still one of my favorite spots. And uh, we had a couple bucks on there, some really good deer. And in this area that last, that third week to the last week of October really poses a kind of a unique opportunity because these bucks are still in a feeding prep pattern but they also tend to break daylight every once in a while in october if the weather's right because they're out there kind of setting territories checking does kind of figuring out a bunch of pre-run activity
1: okay. and
0: uh so it was probably the third week of october i got into my stand pulled up my bow and you know around here it's a lot of stand hunting hunting over food plots things like that you know the spot and stock opportunities in northeastern kansas are almost nolan boyd because of the t- timber <laughs> density and everything Oh sure. so i get in my stand i get all snuggled in i'm ready to go pull my bow up and uh it didn't take long you know it was probably three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon i started getting some fawns and some does are coming out and turkeys are out there you know it's just great to watch you know it's fantastic stuff and that's why you go right and oh, absolutely. Uh, pretty soon the field just i call it that that magic hour about an hour before uh dark that buck 30 here come <laughs> here comes three or four small bucks and then one of the bucks that i'd seen that i kind of designated on my hit list that i wanted to get a look at And he's a real typical mainframe nine point good tall tines probably a 160 inch deer and okay. you know probably four-year-old buck and he walks out i'm looking at him and he's probably out there I don't know, 80, hundred yards. And so I'm watching him. And then another buck walks out probably about the same size. And he was another one that I'd kind of identified early on with the trail camera. So at this time I'm texting my dad, right? I'm like, man, you know, this field's filling up. This is cool. I've already got one of the bucks that we've kind of identified. I'm looking at him. The other one just walked out. I said, man, magic's happening. This is gonna be great. And, uh, Of course he's text me back you know take pictures and everything else well you're in a tree stand so i'm trying to fumble with my phone not drop my bow not get spotted by a doe or anything else out there and snap pictures well as i'm in the process of trying to snap a picture with an iphone at a deer that is 100 yards out which by the way that doesn't make a great picture right yeah i'm sure uh, so i'm trying to stare at this phone and snap a picture of this 160 inch nine point i look to my right i catch a little movement and here stands an absolute giant, a true 200-inch whitetail. I hadn't caught him on trail camera yet. I've never seen this deer before. I have no idea where he came from. And he is standing at 85 yards. And to be screwed up and panicking is an understatement. It's one of those things where I had to reach down to the bottom of my stand and hold on to it to just keep from falling out, you know. Buck, buck fever had had set in tenfold. And uh, so, of course, first thing I do, instead of trying to get prepped and everything like you probably should have, I'm texting my dad. Like, there's a (laughs) legit 200 inch whitetail out here. I've never seen him. And of course, he answers with the same comment: "We'll take a pic." So I'm trying, (laughs) I'm trying to snap a picture of this deer. You know, my bow is hanging literally right beside me, so I'm trying to snap a picture of this deer and completely forget about all the basics that you kind of learn as you go here, you know, get your bow ready, make sure nobody spots you, move slow. Now I am an absolute disaster and I'm (laughs) trying to snap pigs. I'm breathing hard. You know, I can't imagine that they didn't hear me because I guarantee you the entire tree was shaking, which is bad. (laughs) And uh, this deer walks out a little bit farther and kind of turns and looks in my direction. And he's a, he was a mainframe 10 real tall tines. And then he had two almost matching tines that come in off the inside of both main beams, one off the right, one off the left, and kind of come up out front. So he's very unique. Yeah, a lot of time, good mass. I mean, it's just one of those things that if you were to draw up your perfect whitetail in your brain, this was it. I mean, here he was. (laughs) So now I finally, I finally give up on the whole picture taking deal. And it's like, all right, it's time to hunt. Here he is. Let's do this. And he walks out. And of course, like I said, you know, I'm feeling good about it. It's probably 45 minutes before last light, you know, so I've got time. I just know this deer is going to work his way into range because there was a, like a mineral block sitting there about 30 yards out. And all these deer tended to come over there and check this mineral block out, do a few licks and then move on. So I assumed that this deer was going to do the same thing. Well, 200 inch deer don't get 200 inches by doing what other. <laughs> deer. I've learned that very, very quickly. So I watched this deer for 45 minutes, literally check every doe on the field, posture, every buck on the field, he'd come in to 60 yards and then he'd move out to hundred yards, you know, chase another buck off. And then he'd move his way back in and he went through the song and dance, like I said, all the way up until almost last light. And Benny decides that okay, you know I'm going to come in and take a lick off this mineral block. So here comes this deer, and he works his way in, and of course he's probably walking at a normal pace. It might as well have been three hours as long as it felt like it
1: took him, right. <laughs> so
0: he finally comes in, and I've already went through you know probably half a dozen mild heart attacks, and you know trying to hold on to my stand, trying to figure out where my bow's at, and. <laughs> Pretty soon, long story short, there he is. Bam, he's 30 yards, broadside, head down. And it's like, here we go. You know, this is this is what you practice in your front yard for, and this is this is it. So at this point, I've heard stories where people are like, you know, this sense of calm came over me, and I just executed. I'm not one of those people. (laughs) Sense of calm never made it anywhere remotely close to me. And I remember drawing my bow and my arrow is setting on, I've got a fall away release. And my arrow is literally bouncing on the release. So I tried to draw this bow <laughs> and I finally get it drawn. And as I draw, there's a doe off kind of the left, probably 35 or 40 yards out. And out of the corner of my eyes, she kind of picks up a little bit of movement. You know, I'm probably 15 foot up in this big Oak tree and she picks up movement. But at this point I'd already come to full draw. So it's like, okay, you know, everything's good. Well, as I, center of the peep sight and I bring my pins down on him I realize that I can see him real well with the naked eye with the light that I've got left but as I look through that peep sight and I you know that glow with that pin it kind of shadowed out the deer he's standing in a spot like I said by a mineral licks they'd kind of um basically knocked all the grass down there so it was just a dirt spot so it was oh, dark yeah. in the case, you know so as I draw my bow I realized man I can't really pick out that sweet spot in the vital areas you know yeah. and i'm not real comfortable with my shot and the last thing i want to do is shoot a 200 inch deer in the hoof you know oh okay. man <laughs> you know i'm like I'm, I'm gonna screw this up first of all it's probably a once in a lifetime deal that i see one now he's in range now i've got my bow drawn and now i'm gonna screw it up this is all that's going through my mind at this moment right <laughs> and i thought okay well i'm already drawn. I've got, you know, I may never see this deer again. I haven't seen him up until this day. I may never see this deer again. Like I said, we hunt pretty small plots. So (laughs) the neighbor could shoot him or he could get hit on the highway or he could just disappear in general. And, you know, big bucks in this area have a really good tendency to do that. Anyways, you know, you'll catch them on trail camera. You'll get one glimpse at them out the field and then you'll never see them again. And, (laughs) you know, we're a pretty tight knit group of hunters. If a big buck goes down, you typically hear about it. Yeah, but won't hear about it. I don't know where these guys go. And I don't know how a buck gets to six or seven years old in this area. But they manage, you know, I mean, you, you yeah. see it. So here he is. I'm full draw. And I thought, okay, I'm going to aim a little low. And I'm going to shoot straight for the heart. You know, I'm elevated. He's 30 yards. Best case scenario, I center punch him, you know, dead deer. Worst case scenario, I shoot under. Because if I shot a little high, I'll still catch lungs. If I shoot under him, it's a clean miss. And, you know, I may have another opportunity later on. So when, in my experience, when a bow hunter, or at least maybe just me, they may not be everybody, aims to technically miss, you're going to miss. So (laughs) I, I turned this thing loose and I got a Luminoc and I watched that Luminoc go right underneath the armpit of that deer and stick right in the dirt.
1: Oh my and gosh!
0: of course he kind of jumps, he runs off out there in the field, about 80 yards out, all the other deer kind of scatter a little bit, you know, but luckily with a bow, it's not terribly loud, you know? Yeah. So they all scatter, they're all standing out there trying to figure out what's going on. And there I sit and all that crazy big buck, buck fever emotion now is like total despair. Right. I, I, I want to get out of my stand, but I'm contemplating on whether to take the ladder or just fall out. You know, I'm, just, I'm, I'm over it. Right. So, so there I sit and I let it get real dark because I don't want to bust them out as I as I leave, you know, so I wait and I'm looking at them through the binoculars and they kind of move off and it's finally like, all right, you know, it's it's time. So I crawl out and I sneak out to my arrow, hoping that maybe I just didn't see it right. But, you know, and it disappeared there behind the heart. That arrow is clean. You know, yeah. I mean, it. I didn't hit anything. So I walk down, get to my truck. By this time, I have like 27 missed text messages from my old man. Like, did you shoot him? Where's he at? What happened? Did you fall <laughs> out of the stand. You know, bark twice if you're in Milwaukee type stuff. Are you there? You know. <laughs> And I finally call him and I tell him the story. And he's like, well, he goes, best case scenario is it's clean mess. He said, you might have another opportunity. And I said, okay. And I said, well, give me a word word of wisdom here, Dad. You've done this a lot longer than me. I said, you know, you've seen big bucks. You've had chances, you know, some have worked, some have not You know, what's what's the odds of, you know, this buck showing back up? And he said, oh, he said, you know, slim to none, but there's a chance. Of course. <laughs>
1: That's Real awesome. encouraging, I, yeah. Yeah, you
0: know, I'm fantastic, right? So uh, I go back home and I tell my wife the story too, and you know, she she hangs on every word that I say. She's not a big hunter, but she's a really good listener, and bless her heart, <laughs> she's done this with me for years, and I don't know how she puts up with it. But you know, long story <laughs> short, I cry to her, and then you know, I go to checking trail cameras and I go to running things through my mind, so as this happens, I start catching this deer on trail camera, you know, I'm catching him. He's hundred percent nocturnal. I haven't caught a date picture probably because that's how he got as big as he got. You know, you only Uh get one. I'm, i muffed it. So, you know, but I, I know he's still there. And like I said, this is a pretty small plot. Well, then I start getting worried as the days and the weeks start passing, I'm hunting the spot. Every chance I get every time the wind's right, you know, I'm there. And I'm seeing basically every deer that I saw in that field in October with the exception of him. And, uh, you know, it's just every time you go and you don't see him or you don't get that opportunity, you know, you get a little lower in your seat, like, man, you know, I I think I, I might've just screwed this up for good. You know, this, it's only 200 inch deer that I've had in front of me in my life. And, you know, this is what happened. And I may not, never get that chance again. And, uh, so as the weeks go on, I'm catching on my trail camera, but then I start getting nervous because I've got a neighbor that hunts to the north of us. And I talk with him often and he's like, Hey, look at this buck I caught on trail camera. Well, same deer. Yeah. And <laughs> so I know that he's traveling back and forth between our place and the neighbor's place. And you know, who knows where else? And I'm just like, you know, if this deer manages to break daylight, is he gonna do it in front of him? Is he gonna do it in front of somebody else? Is he ever going to do it? And, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, the neighbor and I are pretty good buddies. I wish him the best, but at the same time, it's like, man, I really hope he doesn't shoot that deer (laughs) because it's a guy, right? Oh yeah. So as it goes on the rut in Kansas usually falls about that second week of November. So like the 13th through the 20th, 21st, 22nd, somewhere there's probably about the peak of the rut typically based on, the weather and everything, but that's usually where it hits. So we go through the rut and I'm thinking, you know, if I'm going to catch this deer in daylight, it's going to be during the rut because around here, that's usually when the big deer fall is during the rut, because that's when you'll find that big buck breaks that nocturnal pattern. You know, he's not going to walk away from that doe and she's going to lead him out somewhere. But the, the problem that we have, like my father and I is we hunt a lot of food plots so usually during the rut, food plots get pretty slow because mm. these does are being chased. So you're usually really wanting to focus on travel corridors and things like that, you know, pinch points and everything in the timber, the backside downwind areas, bedding areas, because these bucks will cruise them looking for hot does, but they could care less about food. You know, <laughs> you might see one of your food plots because he's going from one end to the other end and he doesn't care one bit about stopping for a bite. And the only time you really catch them in the food plot is if that doe brings him out. You know, if she comes to get a a bite, he's going to follow her out. So I'm pretty high hopes for the rut. I changed some things up. It's like, man, you know, I know there's travel corridors here that, you know, I haven't really hunted because I like to kind of get in and out without really getting into that, the deer's habitat into their home range, because like I said, they're small plots. So I hate to really push the deer out if I can avoid it. But you know, I'm, buck crazy i know he's there you know my mind is not firing on all cylinders now it's just you know full hunt mode right so i change some things up i move into certain spots in the timber and and eric nothing works you know i don't oh. see this here i don't i don't see anything and uh so there i said and and uh it comes up to about i think it was about november 28th and we had a huge ice storm the night before oh. And so there's an inch of ice over everything, no snow, just straight ice. And, uh, the wind was right for this spot. And I told my old man, I'm like, look, you know, it got really bad out. I'm thinking these deer are going to want to come to food because of the big ice storm, because of the weather. And I said, but there's a problem. Problem one is how do I get to this stand without sounding like, you know, a Yeti walking through the timber with an inch (laughs) of ice over everything? And I said, and number two, the the ladder that we got going up to this blind, of course, is something that we home built. And at the time that we built it, I thought it was a great ladder. It is literally a four-inch piece of like quarter-inch walled uh, square tubing with okay. pieces of uh, rebar sticking out every, you know, like 14 inches on both sides to make your ladder
1: runs. Sweet.
0: Well, it's fantastic until it's covered with ice. And then it turns <laughs> into a death trap. Yeah. So, and, it, you know, I thought it was kind of level when we put it up, but once you put ice on it, you slide to one side. So you kind of got to walk up with your feet on one edge of it. And, you know, <laughs> I'm contemplating this from the house and I'm talking with my wife and my father at the same time. And both of them are like, my wife flat out says no. She's like, you're not, you're not going up there. She goes, it's a deer and I don't need you, you know, guillotined hanging off the ladder over a here. <laughs> My dad's like, go for it. You know, you got to get right in the middle of it. I'm not yeah. sure if that's, you know, because he's encouraging me or if there's just not as much care as my wife has. I've never really asked <laughs> the question because I don't know if I want to know the answer. So, uh, you know, finally, I, I look at the wife and I'm like, look, I've got to go. I mean, you don't want to deal with me sitting in this house tonight thinking that that deer's out there. And that's how I sold it to her. Like, right. Yeah. You would rather... Have me have the chance or, you know, take the risk of falling out of the tree. Then deal with me sitting on the couch pouting about the fact that I didn't go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once I brought it up that way, it was, it was pretty easy sell. So
1: uh,
0: <laughs> off I go. And the thing is, I decided, OK, if I'm going to be loud going in. I don't want to bust every deer off the entire property. So I'm going to go in super early. And, you know, it gets dark at that time of year in Kansas, you know, the last light to shoot's probably around that six o'clock range. And, you know, usually you'll hunt the last three hours, you know, the deer will come out in the last hour. But I am in there at like 12 45 in the afternoon. It's <laughs> go time, right? Yeah. It is, Eric,
1: it's cold. I'm, <laughs> talking,
0: I'm talking, it's like 15 degrees for a high with like oh. a 25 mile an hour north wind, right? And it's hit oh. me right in the face. So I am bundled up like Ralphie off the Christmas story. And then I've got to, <laughs> I walk up the road and I get to the stand and I realize, okay, I've got to climb this ladder in my big heavy boots, my big wool overcoat and everything else. It's like, this is, this is technical. This is going to, this is going to get sketchy, but I'd promised both my father and the wife that as soon as I get in a stand, I'll text you, tell you I'm all right. You know, and we're, I'm hunting. So I creep up there. probably takes me 25 or 30 minutes to make the walk that normally takes me five. I get up there, you know, I hang my bow on my string and I work my way up and I break the ice off my stand and and I get all this stuff done. And I finally sit down, I pull my bow up and it's like, okay, I'm in. I've got my harness hooked. I'm safe. If I fall, I'm just going to dangle. All's good in the hood. We're in. And then I realize I didn't bring my phone. So (laughs) now I'm in the stand. My phone's back in my truck, which, like I said, is usually not that far of a jaunt, but with what I've had to deal with, it's a lot farther than I'd like to go. But I get to think, and it's like, if I don't text my father or my wife in the next probably half hour, 45 minutes, one of them's coming up here to look for me. I mean, this, yep. this is going to happen, right? So now I'm like, well, what, what do I do? Do I risk getting down, falling, but getting down, going <laughs> back to my truck get the phone and then come back up and of course the noise and the cracking of the ice and everything associated with that or do i just hope that they don't care about me as much as they say they do <laughs> they're not going to show up and I can, I can hunt till dark so you know here it is it's running through your head right and uh i'm like all right I, i've got to go get my phone i mean this I'm, they're gonna come up i've got to go get it yeah so i let my bow back down on the string and i start halfway down the ladder and I'm working my way down nice and easy like like I said it's covered in ice and I look out in the field and here comes a spike right (laughs) and it's like okay first of all why is there deer out here at one in the afternoon second of all this is bad so I'm gonna bust him out and then he's gonna probably run through the timber and take everything else with it and I'm gonna screw this entire hunt up over a cell phone so it's like all right I'm changing gears. I'm going to go to, I hope they don't care. I'm getting back up. stand. (laughs) So I creep my way back up the stand, pull my bow back up and uh, get set up. And it's like, look, worst case scenario, he'll come in, grab a couple bites to eat in the field and then probably go bed because it's cold. You know, if he does that early enough, I might still have a chance to climb down real quick, go get my phone, come back up crisis averted. So as he, is just kind of meandering out through the field. I'm my mind is literally on the phone. It's like, man, if I, I can just wait for my father's truck to come rolling up the hill. Cause he's not going to walk up the hill. He's going to drive up the hill and pull up because he's probably thinking I'm laying at the bottom of the tree. So <laughs> I'm like, man, man, man. And my mind's on this and I look up and it's probably one 15 in the afternoon. I look up and here stands that 200 inch deer oh, at no. 150 what? yards just walks out of the timber. Well, now it's like, great. Not only did I forget my phone, not only is my father going to roll up here, but he's going to actually bust the 200 inch deer. This, I mean, this, this can't get any worse.
1: Are you a new hunter or even a guy with some miles under his boots? Who's still just trying to figure it out. I get it. I've been there. I'm an adult onset hunter who spent the last 15 years learning how to hunt. And so I wrote the book, how to Hunt: A Total Beginner's Guide to Hunting Big Game, as the resource I wish existed all those years ago when I first started. Whether you're planning to chase elk with your bow in the West or you're hunting for whitetails back East, this book will take you from knowing absolutely nothing to your first harvest. It's packed with hunting stories and plenty of those times where I royally screwed up. You'll leave with a sound strategy for hunting big game and have plenty of laughs along the way. Grab a copy today at late2thegameoutdoors.com/how-to-hunt-book.
0: So now I'm hoping that he just works his way into range and, you know, I get this deal done before somebody screws it up. So there I sit. And of course, just like October, as this deer walks out, I hadn't seen him in a month. My mind had made this deer what he is. He walks out, he's bigger than what I remembered him because that's what <laughs> your mind does to you. Yeah. And I go back into the, the shakes and the, you know, the whole buck fever thing. And it's just an absolute disaster. So he works his way out. He, you know, pushes that little spike around out there at 80 or hundred yards. And the entire time I've got my bow in my hand at this point, no cell phone, no pictures. It's go time. You know, I've, I've learned from my mistakes. This is, I'm dead (laughs) focused, you know, and, uh, I've got the straight eye of the tiger. It's it's we're ready. So finally he pushes that, that spike off and works his way around and he eats out there and he finally starts working his way around. And next thing you know. 34 yards, bam, there he is. Broad daylight, quartering away a little bit. And it's like, this is great. And I'm looking at him. It's like, all right, here we go. And I draw my bow and I'm trying to calm myself down. And I center that pin behind the shoulder. And I, you know, I send the meat missile, man. I turn her loose. And bam, disappears behind the shoulder. Buck yes. does a big kick, turns north and disappears into the timber right there. And typically you know when you've got a pretty you know a a shot through the vitals because they'll do this this kick almost you know they kind of do that big buck and their back legs kick and then as they turn you know that tail's starting to flip and and off they go and all this happened right yeah it's like i am elated and no more i kid you not no more did i turn that arrow loose that buck disappears over the hill into the timber i hear my father's truck coming up (laughs) so i mean within probably two minutes of me turning that air loose he's coming up the hill and i have not even i mean it's quick enough that i haven't even got my bow hung back up yet i'm still sitting there trying to process what just happened and he pulls up the hill and he stops you know i'm waving at him now you know i'm probably making the i've looked like an idiot at the top of this tree because <laughs> I'm trying to send him hand signals that I killed the 200-inch buck, but I don't know what hand signals denote killed the 200-inch buck, right? You know, it's the yeah. waves over your head, and you know you can't really dance in the stand because you still covered nice, so it's more just kind of a, a hop up and down and big thumbs up and everything else. Well, he's in the truck trying to communicate back when literally he was 15 yards. He could open the door. We would have talked about it, but you know, at this point, you know, he's trying to communicate back and you know trying to thumbs up thumbs down figuring out what i'm trying to tell him long story short he, try, he finally gets out of the truck and he sneaks over to the blind which in hindsight is quite hilarious because he just drove up there to pick up so i don't know why he <laughs> from the picked up to the bottom of the tree stand and then whispering from the bottom of the tree stand like what happened you know i mean the, the truck is sitting there right but i'm not saying we're the we're the sharpest tools in the shit but we get it done but anyways so i said i just stuck that deer and he goes what and i said i just stuck that deer i said that 200 is year i just he just disappeared over the hill i said i think i made a hell of a shot and he goes you're kidding me i said no and he said well why didn't you text me and i said because my phone's in the truck and he goes one job you had one job take your phone. And I said, well, I feel like I had more than one job, but I understand the importance <laughs> of the phone to you. I'm just glad you're here now. Cause you know, I'm thinking big buck down, man. I really am. I, I said, yeah. I'm feeling good about it. And he goes, well, do you, do you want to give him some time? And I said, well, it's probably going to take me 10 minutes to get down from the blind without injuring myself. And I said, <laughs> you're already parked in the food plot in your pickup. So the whole let him go off and, you know, expire quietly out the window. I mean, you're, you're within 40 yards of where he went the timber now. And I said, so once I get down, let me gain my composure and we'll go from there. He said, all right. So I climbed down, let my bow down, get everything situated. We go out, my arrow stuck there in the dirt, you know, and you pick it up and it's that great feeling where it's just blood red bubbles on it. You know, you're just, everything's awesome. coming together you're feeling like a million dollars and i'll tell you what normally between me and my own father we i'm the tracker you know if there's a spot of blood i could track a field mouse through a parking lot with a hangnail if you give me <laughs> enough time until there's a 200 inch white tail that i shot and then i couldn't find blood if you sprayed it on my face you know so dad's like well which way to go well i think he went that way and I kind of point to the Northeast and he goes, what do you mean? You think it's broad daylight, which way did he go? I said, I'm pretty sure he went that way. And he said, okay. So we kind of start looking for blood and, you know, just kind of doing the track towards that general direction. And I am, I'm like, dad, I know he we went down this path. There's kind of a war path through the food plot." I said, I know he we went not run right down this path, but I'm not finding a single spot of blood. The arrow's telling me that there should be. Yeah. I'm not finding any. And finally, he's behind me, and he finally goes, well, hold on. And he walks back to where I, the arrow entered the deer, and he goes, hey. I said, what? And he goes, you're about 15 yards to the south of the biggest blood trail I've ever seen in my life. He <laughs> said, you're not even in the ballpark. And he goes, you could follow this. He said, you could just look from here. He said, I know where he went in the timber 40 yards out, because I could still see the blood from here. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, well, you know. Forgive me for being just a little bit out of sorts here. So, you know, so finally we go to track and blood and we get into the timber and laying fifteen yards in the timber is a big set of antlers laying in the, the grass, man. I mean, he yeah. he's expired. Perfect shot. There he lays. And you hear a lot about ground shrinkage on a deer that size, there was none of that. I mean, as you get <laughs> closer, closer to it, it was just, oh my goodness. I mean, it didn't even look real, right? It's just yeah. one of those surreal deals. I there's a really good chance I'll never even see another deer that size, let alone take one. So, you know, you're you're taking it all in, you're you're understanding what just happened, and uh, you know, you're thinking you're just praying that everything went right the deer's expired you're thanking god for what happened i mean you're just you're over the moon right yeah so we get up to the deer and i reach down i grab him by the horns and i kind of pick him up to show the old man this is the first time other than trail camera pictures he's seen him you know and he's like oh and i'm like look at this guy pop i said he's beautiful and you know we take we spend probably a half hour 45 minutes taking pictures and you know Doing everything and all that. And it's like, okay, well, let's get him drug out, and uh, we'll get down kind of a little area down off the food plot, kind of back towards where we enter the property to go ahead and field dress him. We'll load him up. There's high fives, there's it works that Okay. So I grabbed this deer, and as I turn to kind of pull him uphill, I rip the right antler off.
1: No, I can't make this up. The right
0: antler at the skull plate, including part of the skull plate comes off in my hand. No, and I, it comes off bad enough. You know, I'm putting enough force on it that I fall down and I'm holding this antler. And my father looks at me and he goes, what did you do? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. You know, now I have no idea what happened. So I I ripped the antler off the biggest deer that I've ever seen, let alone killed. And I'm there. I said, and you're just, there was no words for it because neither of us had any idea what was going on. And, you know, I've heard stories about if you, you know, Kansas's bow season goes till like the 31st of December. So late, late in the year, you might have a buck that looks to shed his antlers pretty early. And okay. sometimes they might lose one or something after the shot or, if they, you know, in the midst of loading them up in the truck. Well, this is November. This shouldn't have yeah. happened. And, not alone, not let alone just the horn, but it's a piece of the skull plate, probably the size of a baseball come with it. And it's like, what happened? And as I play it back in my mind, I remember as this deer's walking to me prior to the shot that day, his right ant, his right ear was kind of drooping down. You know how they normally have their ears up, His, his left ears up, his right ear was just drooping down a little bit. And I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, well, maybe it was an injury or, you know, that ear's got to be down because his horns are so damn big. You know, that's (laughs) what my mind was telling me, but, uh, you know, his horn, his ears down. And as we get to investigating what we just did, we realized that there was a hole right in the top of his skull, right beside where that right antler come out of his skull where he had got gored by another deer when they were fighting. There there was actually a little piece of the antler from the other deer still kind of stuck there. Uh So what had happened was he had got that injury fighting with another deer and it actually cracked that skull piece. And when I grabbed him and went to pick him up, I pulled that piece off. And as you look in there, you know, you realize that this year wasn't going to make the year. I mean, he actually, that injury was going to end up being fatal at some point. And we learned this later on because now I'm sitting in the timber with an antler in one hand and, you know, now he's no longer a 200 inch deer. He's a hundred inch deer. <laughs> one antler. I'm holding the other piece and he's laying there in the grass and we don't know what to do. So I call my taxidermist, which is a friend of mine. And I said, you need to come up here. He said, why? And I go one, I don't know what I did. i got a 200 inch deer on the ground. I've got an antler in my hand. And I said, I just need you to come up here and tell me, what to do, how we're going to do this so I don't make a bad situation worse, right? And he's like, all right, I'll I'll be up there. So he comes comes up and, you know, we wait 15, 20 minutes. He shows up and we decide that we're going to cape this deer where it sits. And then he is actually going to flesh that skull out where we sit, just so he can try to figure out what happened. So we go from loading the deer up taking it home, showing all the fam, look at this thing, blah, 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 to I am in the timber. Now it's starting to get dark because we've wasted all of our daylight and we are full on, you know, taxidermy doing the whole taxidermy <laughs> deal on a deer in the middle of the timber. So we finally get all this done. And luckily, you know, this isn't the taxidermist, my buddy's first rodeo. So he does this relatively quick. And as we open up, we realize, you know, that's when we found the time that went in you know, and, and punctured the skull. That's where we found the original fracture that I kind of broke off and we find all this. And, you know, it starts to tell this story that not only did I get a chance to see a 200 inch deer on the hoof, then I got two chances at said 200 inch deer. And on the second chance with the truck rolling up and with everything else happening, I was able to harvest this deer and then to realize that if I wouldn't have harvested this deer, this deer would have been another one of those ghosts that nobody ever knew where he went. Because at some point he would have expired in the timber from the injury he had. Yeah. At some point in the next you know, the tax member said with what he saw probably within a couple of weeks. And oh, man. That was it. You know, and then maybe that's the story behind some of these big deer that they die of old age or they die of an injury or they do something like that. and Nobody ever finds it. Right? Yeah. So we we get everything done. And of course I'm looking at my, my friend and I'm like, can you fix this? I, <laughs> in my mind, I'm thinking that it's irreparable, you know, the antler is going to be, one's going to be perfect. Cause it's still attached. The other one's going to be facing hard, right. You
1: know, <laughs>
0: it's going to look like, you know, that deer off that open range show or something, you know, the, and it's like, I don't know, you know, I'm in panic mode. I'm still screwed up from the whole experience. So I'm asking, is this going to be okay? And he's like, yeah, no, it's, we're, we're fine. I'll, I'll take care of this. Okay. So we're all loaded up and uh, we get it over to his house. When of course it kind of takes a little bit away from it because, you know, you want to take this deer to home and show everybody and all this. Well, it kind of, it kind of leaves the timber in. I brought home, you know, like when I got home, the wife was all excited. And I didn't even get a chance to tell her what had happened. So she comes running out and all she sees is just a skinned deer carcass with a tag on it and no head. No
1: high. I'm like,
0: yeah, here he is. You know, you know, look at the, look at the hooves
1: on this one, right? Yeah, you know, it's on Much one, less right? impressive. Yeah, you know, it,
0: it kind of takes away from it. But uh, you know, once I told the story, she understood and and blessed the tax heart. It wasn't he knew I was Jonesing to see this, you know, get my hands back on these antlers. So apparently some sort of epoxy, you know, technology's a great thing. He was able to get, you know, a screw up through there and some epoxy and got it perfect you know right where it was prior to you know the catastrophe of me ripping his antler off and i'll tell you what you know (laughs) like i told dad you know when he told me what'd you do well i've always think you know i go to the gym i'm a pretty strong guy i don't think i'm strong enough to rip an antler off so (laughs) i knew something was up right you're
1: not just pulling skulls apart (laughs) on a regular basis you know i'm
0: not hulking out on this deer you know (laughs) pulling apart like a chicken wishbone but uh (laughs) so long story short we get all this done and uh we end up measuring this deer up and he ended up grossing 202 and 48s is what he oh ended up. Oh
1: my goodness. And still to date,
0: the biggest deer that I've ever shot and might probably in my mind probably ever will shoot. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, every year my old man and I stand in front of this mountain and we go, Okay, you know, this year's the year. You know, I was jazzing <laughs> my buck's like. Two inches bigger than the biggest deer he's ever killed. So I Always tell him, I'm like, you know, he needs pointers. You know, this is what you're looking for, right?
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> you but, got those uh, bragging rights forever.
0: <laughs> yeah. For so far, I've still I've still maintained the bragging rights, but uh, I'm hoping, you know, to be completely honest, I'm hoping he beats me at some point because I'd just love to see it, right? Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah. So so that is the that's the disaster of the 200 inch deer.
1: That. You know? That story is incredible. <laughs> like the number of <laughs> twists and turns, even when, uh, even when you like think it's done, like, oh, he finally did it. Well, now here comes a whole new no, pile of no, we have to piece them back together. Like, dumpty. Uh, you know,
0: so what does, uh, well,
1: it might be a weird question, but like, what the do, what does that do to you having killed the biggest deer you may ever kill? Like now when you're out there and you see what is a perfectly respectable, mature deer, like, d- has it changed anything? Is it weird for you or do you still uh, get just as excited? <laughs>
0: You know to be completely honest i enjoy the the thing that draws us out there now don't get me wrong you know you're always looking for these these big deer these boone and crockett plus deer and and they're there and you see them but uh you know the draw has always been just being able to sit out there you know the things you see sitting in the stand you're dead quiet you're not moving you know you see nature actually being nature you know you'll see things that other people don't you know i'll come home and explain to my wife you know i said I saw these two horned owls getting a fight, you know, over there in the timber over a squirrel. And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, no, it was crazy. I've seen it, <laughs> you know? And those are the experiences that you pick up, you know? So that's, that's definitely the price, you know, worth the price of admission, but where I'm getting the, the biggest adrenaline rush now and, and the most pleasure out of is taking my kids. Yes. You know, I've got two little girls and, and they've kind of, taken on to this this hunting deal much like i did at their age and of course i'm all about it right and sure to watch them their eyes get big when a deer walks out or when they see a flock of turkeys or you know when they the group of tom turkeys out there gets to play and peck the other one on the head you know and doing what they normally do and you know just all this sensory overload that they get from being out there and it's not electronics it's not Television. It's just the outdoors. Here it is. You know, this yeah. was my television growing up. You know, and I'm fortunate enough for both of them to be, you know, pretty, pretty outdoorsy. You know, and and love it and want to go and ask to go rather than me kind of be like, well, you know, well, why don't why don't we go? You know, they're they're <laughs> yeah. usually if I tell them I got to get up five in the morning, we're gonna go goose hunting. You know, they're they're meeting me at the door. So awesome. that's really that's been the big push here of of late, you know, in the last five to seven years is that they got old enough to kind of go with me. You know, that's more fun than going by yourself. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. I still spend plenty of time in the timber by myself, but uh, (laughs) you know, you're always looking for that next 200 inch deer and they're there, you know, you'll, you'll catch them on a trail camera every once in a while, or your neighbor will have a story similar to mine. Like, Oh, he was here. And I, I was back, you know, cutting hay and I busted this big buck so that it's always there. You know, you're always hunting the what if, right? Yeah. And with the benefit of this area is like I said, there's small plots. There may be a 200 inch deer that you've never seen before, you know, on two neighbors over, but the, really as a crow flies, that's a mile. And, yeah. You know, one day he just may walk out in front of you. And, you know, so you're always, you're always hunting for that. And, being able to introduce your kids to the outdoors is fantastic. And no, I mean, it just keeps you going, man.
1: Yeah. Oh, so good. That's, uh, my kids are hitting that they're 12, eight and seven. And so, uh, we've been out a little bit. My middle kid, my second son is just asks to go on every possible anytime he hears I'm hunting. He's like, Oh, can I go like, well, buddy, I'm, I'm going, you know, five miles into the back country. I can't uh, (laughs) love you, (laughs) but you're not ready for that yet. But he is just like, yeah, I'm, same thing, just loving starting to get them into that, that process. My, my oldest took a couple shots at some deer last November. Uh, we need to spend a little more time at the range, but, uh, (laughs) but even just watching him have that, that the adrenaline dump and the like, even on a wide clean miss, just watching his eyes light up. Like, yes, he's getting it. This is awesome. Uh,
0: that's what it's about, man. That's in my mind. That's what it's about.
1: Oh yeah. It's just nothing like it. Um, Jeff, dude, uh, what can, uh, I, I, can people follow you, find you, uh, wh- yeah, where I are mean, you at? <laughs> uh,
0: I'm on Instagram, uh, at Jay ham, 2001. You know, I don't have, uh, you know, I'm do not, I'm not running like an Instagram deal or anything else. So if you want to follow me, you're going to get uh, family photos, maybe a couple pictures of the dog. I'll sprinkle in some trail camera photos, maybe a couple kill shots. And, uh, you know, it's, That's kind of where it is, but you're more than welcome to follow. And, you know, if anything, just come on and and shoot me a a message and we can just tell stories and, you know, get to know each other. Like I said, I've met some of the greatest friends in the outdoors, man, and then sharing those experiences back and forth. And I love it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that is a, I mean, social media certainly has its downsides, but it, one of the huge upsides is, I mean. I've, I've made friends and and other hunters that we just go back and forth that i would have never never met 20 years ago uh oh absolutely so it's just an awesome way to 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 build your network and, and start mm-hmm. having other hunters in other parts you know i, I now have like great kansas whitetail stories that i don't <laughs> i live in arizona we, we don't have we have these little offshoot weird coos whitetail but we don't, we don't have 200-inch <laughs> whitetails running around uh
0: well, I'll have to hit you up sometime because elk is kind of my unicorn. I've had a couple yes. trips and I have not, okay. I have not capitalized. So I'll have to pick your brain on how to get in the middle of that down there.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's, uh, yeah. Anytime I am. Uh, I have, uh, f- after four years, I've got another elk tag this September that I am. Uh, mm-hmm. it's mostly all I think about right <laughs> right oh, now. Fantastic. So, uh, fantastic. uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk elk. I love it. Perfect. Um, Dude, Jeff, thank you so much uh, for jumping on, taking the time, sharing the story. Uh, I love a story where things don't go right.
0: (laughs) And unfortunately, most of mine are that way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It it makes a better story. It's more realistic than, you know. You see something on Sportsman's, which looks cool, great footage, but it just looks like, oh, all these guys do is walk out and shoot a deer. Uh, right. So I love hearing the reality that most of us face where things <laughs> keep going wrong.
0: <laughs> oh, man, exactly. Well, I appreciate you having me on, man. I really do.
1: Oh, absolutely. We got a, uh, you've got a lifetime of crazy stories. We've got to have you back on for sure. No, uh, absolutely. Anytime, man. Absolutely. Dude, uh, thanks so much. And, uh, and to the listeners, we will, uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hunting Stories. And if you want to stay up on what we're doing with the podcast or anything else going on with Late to the Game, go ahead and check us out at latetothegameoutdoors.com or give us a follow on Instagram at latetothegameoutdoors. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.